Why is there so much evil in the world? You know, on this Mother's Day, we think about the thousands of mothers who are mourning the loss of a child in, for instance, Ukraine. Because of the evil of Vladimir Putin. But there's also thousands of Russian mothers mourning the loss of their sons because of that same evil person. And in fact, the, um, during the Soviet Union, they, um, one of the reasons they uh, withdrew from Afghanistan, the Soviet Union, was because Russian mothers rose up and said, we're tired of sending our sons to die. So that kind of evil causes some to ask, you know, why doesn't God do something about this evil? Well, the parable that Jesus tells speaks to that question. Now, as Christians, we believe that God has done something about evil and that he is going to make all things new and restore all things. But we still struggle, but in a different way, with the evil around us. Sometimes when we do works for God or we pray or, or, or do something that connects to Christ's kingdom, it can seem so ineffectual. It can seem like it do, isn't really making a difference. And so we wonder, why is that God? There are some here who, on, on Mother's Day, maybe you've you're been praying for your, your son or your daughter. Or your, you've planted the seed, but yet nothing seems to be happening. They've walked away from the faith. And you wonder, God, why, where's your kingdom power? Or maybe you've prayed for a loved one. You've prayed for healing. And you know that God's power is full of, of kingdom and restoration. And yet, your prayers seem to be unanswered. Again, Jesus' parables here speak to these questions. He speaks to those questions of why God's kingdom can seem so small, so far off in a world of evil. So let's look deeply into these things. We're in our series on Matthew. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And we concluded a section where Jesus was uh, preaching about the kingdom of heaven being present in him and available. And he showed that kingdom power through healing many people, through casting out demons. And then chapter 13 starts a section where Jesus starts teaching in parables. Last week, we talked about Jesus' parable where he, he this compared uh, the message of the kingdom of God to like a, um, a sower sowing, field in a sea, uh, sowing seed in a field and how the different reactions to that message were like uh, different growths of, of these different seeds. We looked at that last week. And then, but in case you weren't here, you might be thinking, well, a parable, what's, what's a parable? Well, a parable is where you lay one thing aside of another, parallel to them, to make a comparison or illustration. 
right? So you're laying things parable, parable, right? Uh, and when Jesus spoke in parables, he would often take everyday objects that they, people were used to, and in that culture was lots of agri agrarian kind of things, like farming, and he would lay them aside a spiritual truth to to illustrate those things, to show them in a new way. So in today's reading, he says, for instance, he takes the common thing of, you know, sowing wheat in a field, and he lays that aside, the spiritual truth of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like someone who sowed uh, good seed in a field. Uh, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like leaven or yeast, he lays these things aside one another to show that the kingdom of heaven won't be fully realized right away. The kingdom of God already started in Jesus. Jesus comes, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God, but each one of these images of the kingdom of God helps show why there's a waiting involved. That the seed has been sown. Jesus is here. The seed has been sown in the field. The, the mustard seed has been planted. The, the, the leaven, the yeast has been put in the dough. But the kingdom is not yet fully realized. That's what these parables help teach. The why. Why, God? Why are, is, are things taking so long? And the first parable, and that's in verses 24 through 30, that a person goes and, and sows good wheat seed in a field. But an enemy then comes and sows weeds in that field. And when it all sprouts up, the servants say, wait a minute, didn't you sow good seed in this field? Well, what should we do? Should we rip up all of the, the weeds that are coming? And the master says, no, unless you rip up some of the good wheat the second parable in verses 31, 32, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then in verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which is yeast. And let's look at these. Parable 2 and 3 are very similar. Those verse 31 through 33, I think they're going to be up on the screen. They're the most similar in that a very small thing has a large effect. So Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a small thing that ends up having a very large effect after some time. So the smallest seed, the mustard seed, which is really tiny, grows to be one of the biggest plants of the garden. The tiny bit of yeast, you can you put a tiny bit in, into pounds and pounds of flour, and it works through the whole loaf. It makes the whole loaf rise. So this, these parables really speak to the situation where... You know, Jesus' audience, they look at Jesus and his small band of disciples, like 12 people. Yeah, big crowds are coming, but it's just Jesus and these 12 peasants, his apostles. They don't have any political power. They don't have any military power. And yet, they're going to usher in the kingdom of God? And these parables, they're prophetic in that one day. This small band of people will end up turning into this movement that goes across the globe. So that if you look today, that small band of people has, has spread to every corner of the globe. There's people from every tongue, tribe, and nation that trust in Jesus, are part of his kingdom. 
And this truth will be further emphasized when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And they think, oh, wait a minute, the, 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 the kingdom of Rome must have defeated the kingdom of heaven because, look, Jesus is dying on the cross. But then Jesus lives. He lives, and his kingdom is unstoppable. Again, these things speak to it's small. The kingdom of God starts small, but it's unstoppable, like that mustard seed that's planted, but then comes to dominate the farmer's field because it's so large. Or that tiny bit of yeast that will make dozens and dozens of loaves of bread rise. So I want to stop here and give us a little bit of application because I know there's some here who, you know, maybe you feel defeated. Or the division, or the evil of the world is, is getting you down. And, and you've come here and, yeah, if you're honest, you just, you feel that, that weight. Well, it only takes a little bit of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of heaven, to be put into a situation, to be put in a heart to make big changes. And we plant the mustard seed or the yeast. We do that in faith, knowing that it will eventually have an effect. So likewise, if you're here and you're discouraged, keep planting, keep placing those little parts of God's kingdom in every area of your life, and it will have an effect. So yes, keep praying, because every time you pray, you put in a little part of God's kingdom into whatever situation you're praying about. Oh, but pastor, I've been praying for healing for years. I've been praying for my loved one for years. Well, this parable shows that, yes, if you place that, it will grow. It will have an effect. It's unstoppable. Yes, certainly, sometimes we don't see the full and final effect until the harvest time. But nonetheless, the kingdom of God is here so that you will see that change. Keep doing those things. Keep planting. Well, let's, we'll return to that. But let's go back to the first parable, because the first parable that Jesus tells is actually emphasized. It's sandwiched. It makes a parable sandwich, uh, right? Where the, at the beginning, Jesus tells the parable, the first parable about sowing the seed. He tells then about the uh, kingdom of heaven is like the, the mustard seed and the leaven. But then he goes back to that first parable and fully explains it to his disciples. So this, has, this parable is, has the emphasis and it's similar to the mustard seed and yeast in that it highlights the not yet of the kingdom. To those in Jesus' day, they're questioning, all right, Jesus, he seems to be saying he's the Messiah. He's the son of man. Remember, in the parable, the son of man is the one who is the master of the field. And they say, well, he's the son of man, but I don't understand. Why are the Romans and the evil people still around? Because... When God comes, when he establishes his kingdom, he's supposed to remove all that's evil out of his kingdom and throw it to be destroyed. So Jesus, you say you're the Messiah, but I still see Romans. I still see murder and theft and all sorts of evil. And so Jesus, he tells this parable in verse 24 through 30 
to address those thi- that way of thinking. He, you know, why is there so much evil in the world? Jesus, if you're the son of God, why do I still see so much evil? And so he tells this parable, verse 24 through 30, of a farmer who planted a field with some good wheat. Good wheat seed, pure wheat seed. But then an enemy comes at night and he sows these weeds in his field. And later on, the, the, the servants of the farmer ask, wait, look at all these weeds. And the, the word that's used for weeds is literally like darnels, which when they first grow up, they look just like wheat. He says, should we go and should we pull up those weeds, you know, and burn those? Because they, they shouldn't be in your field. And look at the farmer's reply in verse 29. He said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. So at that time, at the harvest, the whole field will be harvested, the weeds will be separated from the wheat, and the weeds will be burned. But then when Jesus unpacks this parable, because we might not quite understand, wait, what does all this stuff mean? He unpacks it for his disciples in verse 37 through 40. He, he shows the parallels, right, the comparisons. Verse 37, he says, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. So here's the points of comparison. And he's explaining that. And notice in the explanation, the agricultural imagery is shown to correspond to family imagery, right? The, the wheat, what does the wheat represent? Oatmeal. <laughs> Oatmeal, sometimes yes, but in this case, <laughs> sometimes the wheat does make good oatmeal. This is true, thank you, David. Um, but here in the parable, what does the wheat equal? S- people, sons of the kingdom, right? That the wheat represents the children of the kingdom. And the weeds represents what? The children of the evil one. The harvest is the end of the age. When God gathers all people and separates the good from the bad, the wheat from the weeds. So what he's talking about here is the day of judgment. So many in that day were saying, wait, the son of man has come. He says, you know, Jesus says he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, but where's the judgment? But see, the thing is, is that when we think of the day of judgment, we kind of focus on that, but really the day of judgment is more about restoration in that when God establishes his kingdom, it's going to be a holy kingdom, a kingdom of everything that is good and pure and righteous. The only thing is in order to get there, well, you've got to remove those things that are not righteous. You've got to remove those things that aren't pure, Right? I mean, we all want heaven. We all want that goodness and, and grace, uh, God's grace and his, his presence. But in order to have that, those things that are against God have to be removed. And so here in this comparison, we see that God will establish 
his full and final kingdom. He will dwell in righteousness. We can read about that in Revelation 20, 21. And all things holy, righteous, and good will be there. But that harvest time is not yet. That time where God restores, because in order to restore, he has to purge the world of all that is evil. So the Son of Man has come. Jesus has come, and he's sown seeds of that kingdom so that many children of God are sprouting up. But the evil one is still sowing those evil seeds, and God is allowing it. That's what this parable says. God, no, God allows that for a time. So remember, why did the farmer tell his servants not to uproot the weeds? Yeah, because if in uprooting the weeds, some of the wheat might be destroyed, some of his children might be destroyed. Because the roots are so intertwined, pulling up the weeds may also pull up some of the children of God. And now some might be thinking, well, why can't God remove some evil from the world without doing that? I don't know. I just know that this world is so intertwined. It's not only intertwined in terms of good and evil, it's intertwined in here. In my heart, there is both good and evil. It's so intertwined. And God is saying, no, I don't want to, I can't remove all evil because if I do that, I'll remove some of my children. And I won't do that because I love them. Because there's a fallenness in each one of us evil in each one of us and instead of questioning God as to why God do you allow so much evil maybe we should start thanking him that he's delaying the judgment so that his beloved children will be with him forever I know that's why I thank God that he's been patient with me and I think this imagery also and on Mother's Day it helps us you know a mother's, when someone messes with their kid, right, they're like, that, that person, they need, to, they need to be punished. They need to get some judgment on them, right? It's just, and it's true. But not if their child is still in danger, right? That's why evil people use human shields, right? That's why evil people take hostages because they know, all right, you know, as long as this person is with me, you know, the parents will not, they're not going to risk their beloved children getting killed. So as long as they're near, right? So that's why evil people take hostages and they use human shields. Well, God's love and mercy for his children, that's what this parable is saying, keeps him from getting rid of all the evil before the end, because, again, that would get rid of some of his beloved children. And this parable, yes, it helps us understand many things, but, again, it's a parable, so it's limited in the analogies. Because we also know that God transforms us, right? That we can say, all right, here's the, the, the wheat is the children of God, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Because we also know that we were all... At one time, sons of the evil one. We all have evil in us, and God adopts us as his children, and he takes us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. And so if he doesn't, I mean, so if, if he judges right away, then all, there's so many that will not be the wheat, they'll be the weeds. Now, I want to note something here that you know, there's a 
popular saying, well, we're all children of God. Well, biblically, that's not actually accurate. Um, we are all image bearers of God. So we are all precious. Every life is precious because it bears God's image. And so we're, people are of matchless worth. But God must be our heavenly father for us to be his children. The Bible talks about just in our parable, there are children of God and then there's those who aren't children of God. But God can do a work in each one of us so that he adopts us as his children. And so, yes, God allows evil to continue, including the evil in you and me. But instead of that being a reason for you or I to doubt that God is loving, Jesus says, no, it proves that he's loving. He doesn't want to lose even one of his children. That's why he waits. That's why Jesus died. He died for our sins because sins need to be judged. And he, those sins, our sins, the sins of the children of God were judged on the cross so that we become children of God. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Evil must be judged, judged. But Jesus took on the judgment for evil in for God's children. So that when the fiery judgment comes, the sin, the evil of God's children, it's already been taken care of. It's already been judged. So the kingdom of God is delayed so that God's children are saved. Second Peter chapter 3 tells us the same thing. It says that God is waiting to remove all evil because of his love, because he wants his children to be saved. And it shouldn't cause us to disbelieve. It shouldn't cause us to mock that God's waiting too long. No, his patience shows his love. His patience doesn't show that he doesn't care or that he's never going to do anything about evil. His patience shows that he's loving. He's waiting for folks to trust in him. So 2 Peter 3, 3 says this, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Again, folks saying, well, judgment hasn't come, end of the world hasn't come, and then they mock. But jump to verse 8. But do not look, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His love causes us, causes him to be patient. So instead of questioning why God is waiting to get rid of all evil, run to him, thank, be thankful, to be adopted into his family. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So one day, the day of the Lord will come, the harvest will come. And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Again, talking about that burning. But verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The kingdom, it's not yet fully here. The kingdom of God. But you can join his family now. You can receive and live in the promise of his eternal life. 
in his kingdom. So a big takeaway today is become a child of God. And some might think, well, well, how do you do that? How do you become a child of God? John chapter 1 talks about it. It says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That's Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How do you become a child of God? You believe in Christ. You believe in the Son of God who came to take on our sins so that at, when, when sins are judged, our sins have already been judged. And because we're following the, son, the, the um, eternally begotten Son of God, we become sons and daughters of God. And we receive that right, as it says here. So believe. If you're here and the evil in the world is causing you to doubt, the Lord is speaking to you today and saying, no, I'm letting evil for a time because I want you to be my child. I want you to believe and receive the gift of eternal life. So do that today. If you haven't, if if you're like, I'm not sure if I'm a child of God, then believe and receive that. On this Mother's Day, be adopted into God's family. Now, there's many here, because I know some of you, who say, well, I've done that. I've trusted in Jesus. I've become his child. But yet, again, when it comes to living our life, we trust that the kingdom of God is, you know, forever. It's growing, and Jesus is the king. But yet we've come into this place, and we do feel defeated. We feel as if the evil in this world, the division in this world, has overcome us. Again, it only takes that mustard seed, that little bit of yeast, to make a big change. So, for you, maybe it is, all right, I... I want the kingdom of God. I I trust in him, and and I want that kingdom to have more reign in my life. Well, now plant. Plant that, that yeast. Plant that seed, mustard seed, into whatever area you want God to step into and to redeem, to bring his holiness. Yes, some of these things we'll be praying for. Some of these seeds we'll plant. We won't see until the harvest, but there's others. Because God is, in Christ, is just not the, the king of heaven. He's the king of earth. And so maybe you came today, and there is a burden that you have. Maybe there's a, a relationship that's broken. Maybe there's sickness. Well, God is saying, you know what? It just takes a mustard seed in that for, a, for the God's kingdom to break out. And as Christians, we plant those seeds in faith. We plant those seeds knowing that, all right, it's going to change. It's going to make a difference. It might take a while, but I know it's going to happen because it's truly the seed of faith. And so today, if there's something as a Christian where 
you're desperate for the kingdom of God to invade that part of your life. Maybe it's a child who's gone off the rails. Maybe it's, a, again, a, some other relationship, or maybe there's a sickness. And then I invite you, as we sing our last song, to come and uh, receive prayer, because that's one way we plant a seed, right? That's one way we invite God's kingdom into a situation, is by praying for it, right? We go to the Lord of the harvest. We go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the king of kings. Will you reign in this area? And he will reign in that area. And so come forward for prayer. Or maybe it's, I want that seed of, and, and I know that God is calling me to, um, to step forward. To step forward and reconcile. To step forward and, and give. Whatever God is calling you to do, that's planting that seed. And if it's of God's kingdom, it will, might start small, but it's unstoppable. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Would you cause us to open our hearts to you? Holy Spirit, there's some here who aren't sure if they're your child. I pray, Lord, that they would come to you and by faith receive your gift of adoption through Christ. And there's others here, Lord, They feel defeated. They wonder why you allow this evil in their life. Lord, would you move powerfully? Lord, hear the prayers of your people. Lord, as we lift up now in our hearts, we lift up these things to you and ask for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done on earth, in our hearts as it is in heaven. And then, Lord, we put these things into your hands and know that you will be providing the increase. You'll be taking the seed and making it grow. You'll be taking that yeast, making it to spring up. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.